The fascination with the screen has enthralled us for decades. From the earliest versions of cinema to the glowing black and white screen that graced us with so many firsts. Television specifically seems to be something that we seemingly take for granted. But for a long, long time, appearing on that screen meant everything. Appearing in film or television meant your legacy was etched in the halls of entertainment forever. In 1972, the home television would see a new companion in the form of the Magnavox Odyssey. Video games had left the arcades and infiltrated homes. Now, the Odyssey is a far cry from the PlayStation 5 in terms of capability, but in price, they were roughly the same. And much like today's PlayStation, the Odyssey sold fairly well, nabbing 350,000 sales in its tenure on store shelves, which is impressive considering it was the first home video game console. Over the span of the next decade and a half, the home video game market would nearly die out, then turn around to become an acclaimed entertainment medium. The technologies would advance greatly. Video game developers were finding their stride, and the home console was becoming more affordable than ever, with a Nintendo and Sega blazing trails for new ways for gamers to enjoy the home console. With video games on an extreme high point and climbing higher, it wouldn't be long before Disney would enter the virtual world for our gaming enjoyment. Gaming seems to be the one market that Disney has not truly been able to get a grasp of. As hard as that is to admit as a diehard fan of Disney, it's simply the reality. Don't get me wrong, there is a great catalog of games, but it's definitely finite. Despite making incredible films and some of the best cartoons on the planet, game publishing and development have not been a high point in Disney's history. In 1988, Disney would launch Walt Disney Computer Software. Despite opening a game studio, Disney would only license developers to create games based on existing characters and franchises. This would result in low sales from poor quality of product. Disney was having a hard time moving away from the movie making and translating that into game design. Disney's second chance for a successful video game would come from a new IP that had performed well at the box office. In 1994, Disney would hire the Street Fighter developer Capcom and the Richard Branson-helmed Virgin Interactive to develop a 16-bit game based on Aladdin. This was the first step in the right direction. At this point in the 90s, gaming was huge. We were right in the middle of the first big console war. Nintendo and Sega were fighting tooth and nail to establish dominancy in the video game market. Sega would publish commercials calling Nintendo out, stating Sega does what Nintendo don't. Sega would claim to have blast processing, which doesn't really mean anything, but it sounded so cool. All of this is important because as a household, families would generally only buy one console and that was it. If you wanted to play a different system, you would hop on your bike and ride to a friend's house. Because of this, if your video game came out as a Nintendo exclusive or a Sega exclusive, your sales were limited to just that system. With that understanding and not trying to limit sales to just one of these titans of gaming, companies like Capcom would release different versions of the same game to appeal to either owner of the game system. Aladdin would be released on the Sega Genesis first in early November, and the Capcom Super Nintendo version would be released that late November. The games are different, and it's debated as to which one is the better. The following year in 1994, Virgin would again develop another Disney game. 
this time converting The Lion King from the big screen to your favorite 16-bit cartridge. The games are the same, with the only difference being the changes made for the respective consoles. With a rocky start, it seemed that Disney had finally found its footing with video game publishing, producing two wonderful games. Unfortunately, that was not the case with WDCS. Disney would apply their film studio ideas in the form of a reorganization and merger. Walt Disney Television, who was responsible for great television shows like DuckTales and Tailspin, would merge with WDCS and form Disney Interactive. Now that Disney Interactive was formed, they quickly got to work producing and developing games. A lot of games. They would produce a seemingly infinite amount of home computer games that were interactive or creative that fall under the edutainment genre. In the span of a few years, Disney Interactive would learn from the previous successes with partnering with other developers. That meant tapping Capcom and Virgin again for new games based on new films, as well as ports of older games onto other systems and handhelds, including the increasingly popular Game Boy. In the spring of 1997, Disney would cut 20% of staff, almost eliminating the entire development team. Despite the success, the numbers showed that hiring outside teams to develop games would allow for near 100% margins because of licensing costs from outside companies wanting a piece of that Disney magic. With the changing of the game landscape shifting to newer and more powerful systems, Disney would pin deals with Nintendo in 1999 and Sony Computer Entertainment America in 2001 to produce games on the new Nintendo 64, Game Boy Color, and PlayStation systems. The early 2000s was a good time for Disney Interactive, with a multitude of games being released to great sales numbers. However, a chance meeting in an elevator would spark what would become one of the most revered game series of all time. In 2001, Disney would partner in the development of a new game with RPG veterans, Squaresoft, to develop a game that would feature original characters and environments and merged with the world of Disney. That project was Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts was met with incredible fanfare, raving reviews, and stellar sales figures, selling millions of copies, receiving several sequels, and weaving a tale that spans across more than a decade of time to tell a story that some people consider a masterpiece. Disney Interactive had achieved an incredible success through partnership with Squaresoft and created something that truly has a legacy as large as Disney itself. Over the next decade, Disney would aid in the development of more games in the Kingdom Hearts franchise as well as other, less ambitious projects. Soon, Disney Interactive would turn their eyes to the toys-to-life genre, a genre made popular by Skylanders and Nintendo's Amiibo. The premise is simple. You would have a small toy or figurine with an NFC chip that would be placed on a receiver, usually themed after the respective franchise. Then after the chip was read, the character would appear in the game that the figure was created for, and you could play as that character. The figure would be able to be used to save data and store the stats of the character effectively growing with you. This had grown to be a multi-million dollar industry, and Disney Interactive saw the potential in a toys-to-life Disney game. In 2012, Disney would announce Toybox, a cross-platform interactive game. This would span across mobile phones, computers, and home video game systems. This would all develop into what would become Disney Infinity. The game would launch August 18th, 2013, and would include three figures, Mr. Incredible, Jack Sparrow, and everyone's favorite blue monster, James P. Sullivan, as well as the portal and game, of course. Disney Infinity had several set pieces that you could swap, 
Doing this would change the theme of the level that you were playing, like choosing different movies to play in. It had discs that could add items and vehicles that you could use and interact with in the build mode, which also would give you a sandbox to create whatever you wanted to and combine all the different characters from Pixar and Disney movies. After the acquisition of Marvel and Lucasfilms, new games and expansions were released that would feature Marvel and Star Wars characters. With this combination of characters, worlds, and the infinite expanse of imagination, Disney Infinity had sold millions of copies of the game, as well as figures. The team behind Disney Infinity was challenged by Disney Interactive President John Pleasance. He asked a question to the team during development, as the game hadn't really flushed out to what it could become. Pleasance asked the team, what is the biggest idea you can think of? At that point, the team had shifted gears and began to envision what Disney Infinity could really become. Much like the ambitious projects before, like Kingdom Hearts, this was a daunting task that seemingly paid off in spades. Unlike the happy endings we strive for in video games, like saving the princess or rescuing the planet, Disney Infinity, despite doing everything right, was quietly canceled in May of 2016 dashing any hopes of new characters to play as or worlds to explore. Over the span of the launch of Disney Infinity, Disney Interactive had lost more than $200 million. Pleasance had stepped down, and nearly all the game studios that Disney Interactive had acquired across its life were closed. And just like that, with a speed and fervor that's almost too incredible to see with the naked eye, Disney Interactive closed. There isn't much to say regarding why Disney Interactive didn't survive the mid-2010s. Disney Interactive had found success in the mid-90s, then later with Kingdom Hearts and again with Disney Infinity. Creating video games is insanely tough, and it's never been an easy market to break into. In the early days, not enough people had the know-how to make them, and getting them produced was even harder. And now, with technology being readily available and self-publishing, everyone is able to make games. And thus comes saturation. Disney Interactive only seemed to be able to get its footing on a handful of projects. Even with the powerhouse of Kingdom Hearts and Disney Infinity, it simply wasn't enough to keep that momentum to justify the existence of a game studio, and Disney as a whole had to pull the plug. Disney wouldn't pull out of the gaming market entirely, though. Across the decade, they would license out various properties for mobile games, but nothing really noteworthy. That was until 2023. While Disney would not dip back into creating their own games, Disney would license their properties, yet again, but this time to Gameloft. This would lead to the development of Disney Dreamlight Valley, a life simulator game featuring tons of Disney and Pixar characters, as well as items from across Disney history, including the parks. They also would release Disney Speedstorm the same year, a Mario Kart-like racing game featuring Disney characters. Both games have garnered their own fans, sold well, and were met with pretty good reviews. And if that wasn't enough Disney gaming for you, Disney would publish their first original game in over a decade. Disney Illusion Island is a 2D side-scrolling platform game where you play as Mickey, Minnie, Donald, or Goofy as you navigate through levels across the titular island a fun adventure that harkens back to the days of Disney Interactive's beginnings in the late 80s. With the success of these recent games, we can hope that it's a sign of Disney's return to the world of gaming. Video games' accessibility is at an all-time high, with nearly everyone being interested in playing something from mobile games to hours of tending your gardens in Dreamlight Valley. The only way is forward, and if there's anything to take away from the rise and fall of Disney Interactive, it's this. Explore dream, 
create. So I ask you, what's the biggest idea you can think of?